Hello. Welcome to Breakfast at Cinema's podcast series Cinema My Child and Me where Abhinav and Shibangi share film recommendations appropriate for all ages and some ideas on how to use this collective film viewing experience to help initiate conversations with your children or students to help them learn in a fun manner. We would like to state that this podcast is meant to be a guide for parents or teachers to engage with children in a different way. While we are going to be careful about recommending movies appropriate for all ages, we request you to explore these films by yourself first to check for anything which may trigger a difficult or unpleasant emotion in your children because of very specific circumstances. The films we talk about here are our personal selections for each episode's theme. Cinema My Child and Me was created on Hubhopper Studio. If you wish to start your own podcast for free, visit www.hubhopperstudio.com. Hubhopper is India's leading podcast creation platform. Start your podcast with Hubhopper Studio and get your voice heard across platforms like Spotify, Ghana, Google Podcast, Wink Music and more. Click on the link in the episode description or visit www.hubhopperstudio.com. Visit hubhopperstudio.com. A big hello and welcome to this brand new episode. Today's movie is one which Abhinav and I have been waiting eagerly to talk about. It is one of my personal evergreen favorites. It is E.T. Extraterrestrial. This 1982 classic by Steven Spielberg is about a boy, Elliot who is essentially a self-centered, tactless, rather lonely boy who has trouble understanding how people feel when he is careless with his words and actions. He meets a lonely alien who was accidentally left behind when their spaceship upon landing on Earth was ambushed by the sudden arrival of humans. Elliot takes E.T. home and keeps him safe while they develop a strong emotional connect which E.T. uses to communicate with Elliot. As Elliot begins to feel E.T.'s feelings, he learns to be more receptive to the feelings of those around him, becoming responsible and wise in the process. Now, the film is unabashedly manipulative and definitely not in a bad way. Inspired by Spielberg's memory of his imaginary friend whom he created after his parents' divorce, he approached Melissa Matheson and together they developed the story. It is a masterclass in visual storytelling and has aged so well that even close to 40 years after its original theatrical release, it remains one of the greatest films of all time. We screened this film for our 7th and 8th grade students last year and what a joy it was to see them forget about the rest of the world and just stare at the screen agog. We knew they'd like the movie, but we had no idea that the quiet, angry boy would be sitting in a corner crying copious tears. The smart and articulate girl would be speechless and quarrelling best friends would shake hands and become best friends again. We had eight screenings over four days and every single time the reactions were this fantastic. Honestly, all those eight times Abhinav and I who have watched the film some hundreds of times already, we too had goosebumps every time John Williams's magical background score came on and our eyes got moist every time Elliot and E.T. said goodbye to each other. It is just that wonderful. Although there's one bit of dialogue around the 17-minute mark which we want to warn parents about, Elliot says something nasty to Mike and he's obviously reprimanded by his mother. We request the grown-ups to keep this in mind while watching the film and talk to their children accordingly or decide how to go about it. The film is easily available to purchase on DVD and Blu-ray and it is also on YouTube for a reasonable price. If you haven't watched E.T. or if you haven't watched it in a long time, it is time to rediscover the magic of friendship and the joy of watching a great, wholesome story. Now, Abhinav, share your quick impressions with us, please. Shivangi, do you believe? I do, I do. If you do, then clap your hands. If as a child you have watched E.T., you have pretty much fallen in love with visual storytelling forever. I was not that fortunate child. 
and I discovered this film pretty late in life. But thankfully, it made me go back to my childhood. The testament to the genius of the movie is that when we showed it to a six-year-old boy, in the fifth minute he began screaming and asking us to stop the movie, saying that they are going to hurt him. They are bad people. We had to assure him of a happy ending to continue the movie, which after multiple viewings I realized was a horror film for children till the climactic adventure begins. It plays out exactly as a horror film for a boy who is lost in an alien world, separated from his kith and kin, and not able to understand or speak the language around them. This adventure on one side is about the growing up of Elliot and on the other hand is about E.T. who becomes multiple things on this journey. He becomes the toy for Elliot, he becomes a father for the entire family, he becomes a friend that joins the entire family in their sorrow and pain and he becomes so many more things that exactly as Shibangi said, the imaginary friend who takes on so many roles is fulfilled by E.T. which is E dash 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 T. Elliot. Yeah, that's true. One of the first things that we uh, noticed was that E.T., the two letters, are the first and the last letter of Elliot's name as well. So it's almost like E.T. encompasses all of Elliot and Elliot is everything that is within E.T. It's like they are each other and they are within each other. It is such a beautiful way of starting out with the story. One of the things was that it is about growing up by experiencing and processing pain and loss. Elliot's father has left. Elliot's mother is good, but she's struggling with this newfound loneliness. His older brother does not include him in his group of friends, which is quite usual for children in a family who are of different ages. Ask me, ask me. (laughs) The sister is too young to play with him. As the middle child, Elliot is somebody who's alone, who craves for company, who craves to be with a group of people, who is always asking to be included in groups, but he's not. And because of which probably he develops somewhat of a mean streak, calling people names and saying uh, unwarranted things to them. In the end, he also has to let E.T. go because he knows that is what is best for both of them. He obviously cannot join E.T. because if E.T. cannot survive on their planet, he cannot survive on E.T.'s planet. He understands what it is to miss family and home. His willingness to let go of E.T. is what helps him process the pain of his father also leaving them. And it is a sure sign that he's a more mature boy at the end of this story. I love the way his character arc has been created. It is very well developed and he shows definite transformation. Yeah, I think you're bang on. Elliot is probably the angriest of all the three kids. Probably because he misses his father the most and he has not been able to understand it fully. So that character arc that you're talking about, it's his story. So when we are going to get to know E.T., we are going to get to know Elliot. And through that, we're going to get to know the rest of the family. And it is a pretty cohesive family in that sense. Even though the father figure is not there, the mother is trying to keep it all together. And the siblings are also, you know, they have their own fights and quarrels and everything. But at the end of the day, they are siblings and they understand the importance of being one family. I think in difficult families, in families that get broken up, the kind of relationships that siblings form, it's unparalleled because they don't have anyone else to rely upon. They can't run away from the mother and go to the father or vice versa. So they so start relying on, on each, each other. other. yeah. And that closeness is fantastically captured in the film. What do you think are the themes that stood out for you? I think if we try to list down all the themes in the film, that itself will be another episode. But uh, one of the things that we have captured, not only from our own viewings of the film, but also the way we have seen children relate to the cinema, is that friendship sees no barriers. The physical differences in E.T. and Elliot, the differences in the way they speak, in the way they communicate with each other, in the way they perceive the world, are so stark. Even the way they look at danger, it's so uniquely different. But still, the way they connect with each other is through that red bright heart of E.T. And through the heart of Elliot, which has been hardened by the loss of his father, but is slowly beating back in shape as he is willing to invest a little more in something that he finds at first a curiosity, later on as something to protect. And then slowly as something to rely upon, something to fight for uh, when the world stands against them. Have you noticed how every time in the film, it's a scene about either E.T. or Elliot getting scared. There is a red light somewhere. Either it is E.T.'s chest 
or it is a light somewhere outside an external light falling on their faces and making them glow red and in the end elliot is wearing a red jacket he's yeah. literally wearing emotions his emotions on his sleeve yeah. which is like in the beginning he disguises and masks his emotions in the guise of anger and irritation and annoyance every time but by the end of it he's comfortable expressing himself i think it's a beautiful way to show how this child has grown enough to be able to express openly without fear of being judged and he says it ouch Yeah that he, one word with two fingers on his lips is enough to transport us to a world of pain I thought yes of course this film is about friendship and it doesn't know any barriers so you remember when we were showing it to our 7th and 8th graders the students went ew every time they saw ET's face or his hands in the beginning of the movie and just like that Gertie Elliot's younger sister she also screams when she sees ET for the first time totally taken aback by this strange creature's appearance in fact while all of them are trying to ask et where he's from she even looks at his feet and goes i don't like his feet she's not spiteful and she's not revolted by this character's appearance but she definitely thinks it is strange and weird from whatever else she has seen all her life she must be listening to the other girls in her class talk about the ideal standards of beauty and presentability What? because the first chance she gets she she dresses up et in a dress yeah and in a blonde wig and jewelry and a hat with flowers on it she probably also wants a girl to play with because all she has is two male siblings who are caught up in sports and boy talk and dungeons and dragons and everything while she wants to play with her dolls i know it is gender stereotyping but she has also probably not become of that age where she can talk to them about these things i think the stereotype is precisely there because through gertie the youngest of all the three children we get to see how young prejudices can actually erupt or yes. prejudices can actually get seeded the first question she asks in fact is whether he's a boy or a girl yeah and it or is or whether true. it is a boy or a girl yeah and we don't even know whether it is a boy or a girl and yeah. we have been asked this in several of our classes also in fact we don't know whether they even have genders back on the planet where it comes from when elliot wants to play with et et becomes a boy when gertie wants to play with et he becomes a she in both those aspects there is a stereotyping that spielberg is throwing in our face and saying is it necessary for our children to learn this at so early an age in fact for them to learn this ever so every time we refer to et as a he in this podcast we beg your pardon we are really trying to check ourselves and trying to use gender neutral terms for et that's how elliot refers to et so we yeah. are going to stick to that <laughs> okay well in the end when gertie kisses et goodbye all our students went aw so from you to aw that that journey was actually very wonderful to observe where the kids were initially going like oh my god he's ugly he's creepy he's going to be making things miserable for everyone and in the end they're like oh my god he deserves to go home he's the most absolute sweetest uh, thing ever the movie takes us from judging someone or something we aren't familiar with to accepting it and feeling for it and in another screening i remember this child went et is ugly to which another child turned to him and shot back you'd be called ugly on his planet too I think it is a perfect film to understand acceptance and tolerance of those who are not like us. It is something we learn over the course of this movie if we observe what we are feeling and if we observe that closely enough. Okay, Avina, what's next? The other thing that the film actually deals with throughout in my opinion but it stays in the background because of the adventure because of the way the story is being narrated is the idea of pain and that you can't hold off pain whether you're an adult or a child. in case of elliot we see it very clearly especially when he is in the garage trying to put together things that could help et build the machine to communicate with his planet at that point he picks up a shirt him and his elder brother mike talk about as being this smells like dad whether this smells like old spice and then elliot mentions the specific fragrance of old spice that it smells like and then they go back up and you realize that he has actually taken up those clothes which probably the mother has discarded or stored away in the garage because she doesn't want to be reminded of her husband who has left her for probably a younger woman and gone to mexico he takes up those clothes back to et and as he has given those pieces of machinery to et he also dresses up et as his father with the jacket and the muffler around his neck which pretty much tells us that if et would not have come along maybe elliot would have been a much much angrier child he would have felt more lonely he would have not been able to connect with people and would have built 
into something far more dangerous. Through the help of E.T., who plays at this particular moment, Elliot's father, he's able to deal with the pain of having lost his father and say, okay, he moved on. I also need to move on. I will take this into the territory of empathy. This premise about Elliot needing to think about how other people feel is set pretty early on in the movie. This is when they're all having dinner together and Mike says this to him when Elliot says something about their father and his new girlfriend or wife being in Mexico. And it hurts their mother to be reminded of the way she has been deserted and abandoned. She starts to cry a little. Mike, he's pretty upset and he says, for once, you need to understand how other people feel. Elliot clearly was very close to his father and he misses him dearly. And more so because he's in this scene being teased about his claim that he saw a creature which probably was an alien. He's hurting and he decides he can retaliate and hurt others. The rest of the movie is then just about him and E.T. forging a connection which allows him to feel what E.T. is feeling. He feels sleepy when E.T. is sleepy. They get hungry at the same time. E.T. gets drunk at home while Elliot feels drunk and he belches and he has silly accidents in class. I mean, of course it happens because E.T. accidentally thinks uh, this beer is fit for consumption because Elliot had offered him a Coke in a similar looking container earlier. In fact, when E.T. feels romantic watching clips of some movie at home, Elliot ends up kissing a girl in his class who has earlier been shown trying to grab his attention while waiting for the school bus. It is very easy to miss. But I think it's interesting that the girl is constantly saying, Hi, Elliot. How are you, Elliot? She likes him, you know. (laughs) Elliot can also feel how much E.T. misses home, therefore, I think. And which is why he helps him build the communicator and set it up in the forest during Halloween. He understands what it is like to miss a parent. In fact, later on, there's a point when Mike is being interviewed, yeah. who I think is a fantastic character. The more yeah. I think about him, the more I kind of think that this was the character who understands everything. He has got so much to give, actually. Yeah. Uh, more than any other character, to be honest. He's a very good older sibling. Older sibling, he's a very good son, he's a fantastic friend, and he's a brilliant leader, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. In the end, when the doctors are trying to understand how to bring E.T. back to health, They speak to Mike about all of E.T.'s characteristics and what he used to do. And when the doctor asks, how is E.T. intelligent? Mike says E.T. must be intelligent because he communicates through Elliot. The doctor then asks, you mean he thinks E.T.'s thoughts? He says, no, he feels E.T.'s feelings. And that's what tells us that thoughts and feelings are very different. And this is exactly what Mike had accused Elliot of not being able to do in the beginning. So Elliot has come full circle in that sense. And this is what the story was going to be about anyway. And the payoff that the family was hoping for. Absolutely. In fact, if you think about it, Mike is the only one who's seen wearing a school football uniform. He understands what it is to be part of a team, which is how he operates within the family as well, I think. I mean, Mm. he has his fun, he has his banter, he does his teasing with his siblings and everything. But at the same time, he knows when to take charge. He knows when he's supposed to be up and responsible for something. I think I like this about Mike. One more uh, theme that I think I can focus on is the idea that adults can appear very, very dangerous to us if they don't communicate to us properly. The first seven minutes is a lesson in how adults can be horrifying to children. uh, Even though they are not even trying to be. They just want to communicate. It very often happens that when we are dealing with much younger children, we don't realize how imposing our sizes could be, how imposing the words that we use can be, and how we move can actually become scary because they are a tinier version of us, you know. They might not understand what we are doing is so rooted in something much more important because for them what is important is whether they got to play that day or not or whether they got to be themselves or not, whether they got to tell a story that day or not. Because of these contradictions that exist between the adult world and the world of a child, we can pretty much get as to how almost two-thirds or maybe three-fourths of the movie has passed and the only adult that can bring some kind of solace to these children is the mother. All adults appear weird, appear dangerous, and definitely the children don't want to deal with. Yeah, up to the far end of the movie, the mother is the only adult whose face we have seen. And we get to see exactly how that trust or that relationship with the mother plays out when we... We will talk about it when we talk about our favorite scenes, actually. (laughs) Finally, I'd like to talk about this whole aspect of history repeating itself Hmm? being an important part of the movie. In the end, when Keyes begins to talk to Elliot, Keys Keys being the guy who is shown throughout the movie with a bunch of keys hanging from one of his belt loops. (laughs) Well, that's the only name we know him by. This is the adult at the beginning. Yeah. He makes a comment about how 
this has happened to me as well. Go back a few seconds. Watch as Keys enters the frame where E.T. is being treated by the doctors. There is a momentary look of recognition that is shared between E.T. and Keys. Now, Keys was also seen in the forest looking for E.T. at the same time Elliot was laying out the trail of Reese's pieces to find E.T. And this is... Hansel and Gretel, by the way. Yes. Considering how E.T. begins to share his feelings with Elliot and how in the beginning we had seen E.T. and the other aliens share signals using their red glowing hearts, it may be safe to assume that they have a shared consciousness or a collective information and memory bank. So maybe even if E.T. was not the E.T. who had met Keys when he was a child, E.T. can refer to the shared memory bank and show recognition of this human being. Now, Abhinav and I were totally geeking out while piecing this bit together because Keys expresses gladness that E.T. found Elliot first and that he's thankful that Elliot took good care of him. It is like Keys studied outer space because of the similar interaction or experience he may have had in his childhood and has been waiting for something like this to happen again. Well, I guess it does happen again because he knows what to do and exactly what to say to Elliot to offer comfort. And you play out that scene again. Look at the way Keyes knocks on Elliot's. There is this chamber through which we can see Elliot and the way he knocks. It's the same two-finger knock that E.T. uses when he first approaches Elliot. So Shivangi, I think if we continue talking about this, we can just continue geeking out. But there is a time limit. So let's get technical. I'll begin with talking about, I think you mentioned this earlier, the film is an exercise in manipulation. And <laughs> I use that word uh, with an understanding that all cinema is manipulation. It makes you believe a world that might or might not exist. It makes you empathize and sympathize with characters that you might at times find revolting, might find ugly. And therefore, right from the word go, when E.T. lands in the forest, the first seven minutes of the film is camera angles through and through. It's so brilliantly done that you will start viewing it as a child would view the world, as a child would get lost in a forest, who would be missing out his parents, who would be missing out on his friends, who would not know and understand this world. And interestingly, he's not scared of the animals in the forest and vice versa, the animals are also not scared of E.T. But the humans, the grown-ups, the ones which are taller than E.T. are very, very scary to E.T. And therefore, this beginning and then the rest of the film is an exercise in manipulation. It's camera angles playing at its best. And you get to see this, as I told you, the six-year-old told us to stop the film because it was scary. And that happens only when you end up manipulating your audiences to that extent. Uh, do you remember when we talked about Halo? This was also one of the things we talked about, how the entire movie has been shot from a child's height. Yeah. to make the adults look imposing and caricaturish. I think Santosh Sivan may have uh, pulled a leaf from Steven Spielberg's technique oh. here in this film. But what brilliance is, it's the same camera angles, whereas in Halo, it is caricature. Here, it is scary as hell. It is pretty Switch off the lights, switch off the lights and watch this film, the first seven minutes and go back to your childhood. Yeah. It would be a horror film playing out for you. We would like to tell you that this might be a little difficult for your kids to watch, but as long as you're sitting next to them and comforting them, uh, they might get through this because it is a film that they need to watch. This is the right age for them. Anybody above seven or eight, I think, can watch this if uh, there is appropriate guidance. Yeah, it's like a visit to the toilet in the night uh, when yeah. the lights are off. It's the same house, but it can be scary for a child. Well, I think we need to specially mention Carlo Rambaldi who designed E.T. He had originally designed the aliens for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is another Steven Spielberg classic. When he was hired to design E.T., Rambaldi's own imagination inspired him to give the creature a unique, extendable neck. Now, its face was inspired by those of Carl Sandburg, Albert Einstein and Ernest Hemingway. I personally have not seen the likeness there. If you mean to say they appear scary to children, yes, they can be. Especially <laughs> because of what Albert Einstein teaches us. Producer Kathleen Kennedy, she visited the Jules Stein Eye Institute to study real and glass eyes. And which is why you see what they have managed to come up with for E.T. in terms of his eyes. A beautiful, lifelike eyes which move in the right way, which focus in a certain way. You can see the pupils dilating and constricting. And in a sense, they are very relatable. They do not look fake. They do not look scary. They were particularly important in engaging the audience and which she caught very well. Uh, eyes are the window to the soul. And here we get to see E.T.'s soul, which is so pure and beautiful. 
That's right. And who played E.T.? Steven Spielberg and the producers and the rest of the crew, they got two people vertically challenged to come and play E.T. There was also a 12-year-old person who was born without legs and they took turns wearing the costume depending on which scene was being filmed. The two fingers that you see coming and going everywhere and pointing at things, they are actually played by a mime artist. The puppet was created in three months at the cost of $1.5 million, which was a huge, huge, huge sum of money back in 1982. In fact, Spielberg's brief to all these people who had a hand in putting E.T. together was that it should be something that only a mother could love initially. So I think he hit the nail on the head. And guess how they arrived at E.T.'s voice? The major voice work of E.T. for the film was performed by an old lady called Pat Welsh. She used to smoke two packs of cigarette a day. We don't advise this. We recommend other methods to get there. But uh, this lady, as a matter of habit, she used to smoke uh, two packs of cigarette a day, which gave her voice a quality that the sound effects creator Ben Burt really liked. He recorded 16 other people, various sounds and various animals to create E.T.'s voice. These included Spielberg, actress Deborah Winger, his sleeping wife, who had a cold, a burp from one of his film professors at USC, uh, raccoons, otters, horses, and whatnot. And you can see this entire smorgasbord of sounds which have been used so beautifully to give E.T. his character. Elliot. <laughs> well, I, I'm not close enough, but yeah, I mean, you get the point. One of the technicals I'd like to talk about now, there's this entire idea of what is set up at the beginning of a film and what pays off at the end. And I think the words are self-explanatory. The setup and payoffs in this film are brilliant. You have a mic at the beginning trying to drive the mother's car and that you see later on how he ends up driving the truck, uh, which the FBI or the CIA or the NASA, I really don't know. Some agency from the government side, they are driving. And you get to see it is a difficult drive for him because right at the beginning we saw how he drove over the flower beds. <laughs> but uh, if you notice, he's also somebody who's a sports person yeah so he has good reflexes he has good hand-eye coordination and he's already learning driving True. so he does manage it in a fair way but the funny bit of comes course. precisely because we've seen it at the beginning yeah otherwise at one end we might think does he really know how to drive i mean how do i believe that and on the other end if he knows how to drive why doesn't he drive as well his exasperation when he goes uh, i have never driven forward <laughs> That really that is brilliant. cracks yeah. you up. Uh, there is the potted plant at the beginning, which pretty much becomes the barometer for us to know how E.T. is behaving, whether E.T. is healthy or not. There is that moment. I know Spielberg has clarified this and uh, I know he would still continue to claim that he did not intend this to be the resurrection of the Christ. Well, I'm the audience. I can take away whatever I want to take. And there is the resurrection of Christ in the film. The flower pot, when it comes back to life, is the point where your heart takes multiple jumps because you're like, oh my God, he actually did not make me cry. It's okay. It's okay to be happy now because things are going to be better. From you remember the way the kids were cheering in class? Absolutely. I mean, another teacher had to come into class to check if everything was okay because yeah. they were so excited and yelling and screaming at the top of their voices. There's this beautiful scene. I think you touched upon it when you talked about E.T. drinking beer at home and Elliot uh -huh. getting drunk in school and the things that they go through. That sequence is about six minutes long or seven minutes long. And that is there for us to understand what will happen later on. When E.T. and Elliot are both lying in bed, the doctors are taking care of things and we are just losing hope. We just don't know what is going to happen. We have already seen an ashen body of E.T. That scene that happens earlier, that intercut sequence, is a setup for us to understand exactly what is happening between the two characters. Yeah, here. because that's when E.T. and Elliot, their brains sort of disconnecting and uh, that is when we sort of start to see E.T.'s graph flatlining and Elliot's coming back to normal, the up and down waves coming back to normal. One more thing, this film can appear like so many special effects. For us today, when we watch so many other films laden with special effects, we need to understand that special effects are not for special effects purposes. They're only there to enhance the story that is being told. And in E.T. Extraterrestrial, Spielberg does this brilliantly by backing away from the special effects, by only using it sparingly, sporadically, and using it to great effect. There are two scenes where the spaceship comes, lands, and takes off. And those scenes can be discounted for their special effects today because you can clearly see the quote-unquote CGI green screen behind it. 
but we can ignore it all because of the humanness that has infected ET and the humanness that has been invested into the special effects of ET. I would like to mention uh, the film's musical score. I think it's beautiful. Spielberg's longtime collaborator John Williams, who has composed music for a lot of his films, he described the challenge of creating a score that would generate sympathy for such an odd-looking creature. As with their previous collaborations, Spielberg liked every theme John Williams composed and uh, he had it included. When the kid in the Yoda costume is seen on Halloween, you can hear a snippet of Yoda's theme from The Empire Strikes Back. Of course, John Williams composed the music for both Empire Strikes Back and E.T. It was a nice homage to George Lucas, who has been a good friend of Spielberg's for the longest time. After several attempts of Spielberg to match the score of the film exactly with the musical score, especially in the bicycle chase sequence in the end, um, Steven Spielberg took the film off screen and he just told Williams, you know, you go ahead, conduct the orchestra the way you would in a concert. After Williams did that, Spielberg brought back this re-edited piece of music and he then re-edited the film accordingly to fit the music. This was very unusual for that time because you had a scene and a composer composed it based on the scene. But here it just went the other way around because it was just too beautiful for Spielberg to let go. The result was that Williams won the 1982 Academy Award for the best original score. Abhinav! The ending, the film closes with the beats from 2001 A Space Odyssey, the drum beats, which signals the arrival of the super child. I had to look at you to ask what this possibly meant and what you told me makes a lot of sense. It is the arrival of the super child, the thinking, feeling, acting being who will take charge in the world and ensure it goes in the right direction. I thought that was a beautiful touch. Yeah, without empathy, nothing nothing is going to happen in this world. We have all the intelligence to scale galaxies. We are sending so many things out there. As Stanley Kubrick told us with 2001 A Space Odyssey, but the super child, which comes back at the end of the film to Earth, is essentially a child that Spielberg says has to be a thinking, feeling, acting being. And do you notice 2001 A Space Odyssey closes with this super child looking at planet Earth from outer space, whereas here it's the super child on planet Earth looking at something going back into outer space. It is a continuation of that hopefulness that Kubrick had in his film 2001 A Space Odyssey, which Spielberg has taken forward with E.T. By the way, there are a lot of stories that have been doing the rounds recently. Any authenticity or inauthenticity about this on our part, we apologize for because everything we know, we only know it from accounts that we have read online. Satyajit Ray, India's famous, famous director, claimed that this film was plagiarized from a script he wrote in 1967 entitled The Alien. After Ray wrote the script, he sought the help of his friend, the great science fiction author Arthur C. Clarke, who also has written 2001 A Space Odyssey, by the way. He sought his help to get the script produced in the United States. And however, things never fell in place, so it never happened. Ray said he was disillusioned with Hollywood and he returned to Calcutta and the project was abandoned. When E.T. was released in 82, many people, including Arthur C. Clarke and Martin Scorsese, who's also a close friend of Spielberg, they saw striking similarities in the film with Ray's script. Ray also claimed that Steven Spielberg's movie could not have been possible without a script of the alien being available throughout America, several copies that were going around. Now, Spielberg denied this by saying that he was in high school when the script was circulating in Hollywood. But I think there may be some truth to it. There may not be some truth to it. But when prompted to take legal action, Ray declined saying that he doesn't have a vindictive mindset. And he acknowledged that Spielberg has made a good film and he is a good director. So he did not pursue the matter. Knowingly, maybe Spielberg might not have done it, but it happened. And I think everybody moved on from that. What about your favorite scenes, Abhinav? So many, but we'll stick to three. First one, I think the Peter Pan scene. I asked you at the beginning, I'm now getting into that. Do you believe Mary is reading the Peter Pan story to Gertie and Elliot and E.T. are in the cupboard. I spoke about this earlier where Elliot has dressed E.T. as the dad. This scene is doing so many things at so many levels for me. At one end, there is the mom 
who's reading a story a bedtime story to gertie at the same time she's reading it because there is this fantastic shadow that appears on the wall next to et and she's reading it to et as well which tells us maybe et is missing his mom and on the other hand et is dressed as the dad counterplaying this entire scene consoling by not saying anything but just they both have their hands on each other's shoulder elliot and et just going back and forth where mary asks gertie do you believe if you do then clap your hands as an audience i feel like clapping my hands because i have already fallen in love with et and the play of this is so fantastic that uh, this is the setup by the way and later on it pays off when we see et in the bathroom and mom walks in et is on the floor it is terribly ill his body is turned ashen and we all know that et is suffering desperately as mom is rescuing the three children from the bathroom you see et's extended hands looking at mom and saying mom with that raspy voice your heart breaks because it's at this point that you just want to go there and yeah, hug him yeah he is also expecting to be comforted just like she's comforting all her other children it it is actually really heartbreaking it's unfortunate that by this time mary has not met et to fall in love with et so she cannot deal with et the same way that the rest of the children do yeah but you see the moment she understands how attached all her three children are with et she also begins to understand that this is a very lovely benign creature who has been keeping them company who has been treating them well yeah. and is absolutely harmless yeah and then as mom goes away we see a nasa which we have no idea as to why a nasa astronaut is walking into the bathroom of elliot and et but he does you again hear et say home there are these hidden clues throughout this film about how et is connected with the moon landing how et is connected with yoda with yoda how et is connected with 2001 space odyssey spielberg is just going crazy with these references so that's my second favorite scene of the film i love the scene when mike and gertie meet et for the first time mike is being all high and mighty about elliot having skipped school that day He is actually coming in to check on Elliot. He is in his football uniform with his shoulder pads and everything. He's just joking around with Elliot and Elliot is so excited and he goes, "Swear the most excellent promise you can make. Swear as my only brother on our lives." And Michael is like, "Don't get so heavy. Whatever it is that you have cannot be worthy of this kind of exclamations and rhetorics." And then he evokes this, "I have absolute power." and you're drawn back to the scene at the beginning when they are playing dungeons and dragons and mike gets serious he says all right okay and you have and he the- imitates yoda you have absolute power and then he turns around and he's gobsmacked <laughs> he has absolutely nothing left to say for all his wise cracks and everything mike is like whatever is this creature i have no idea how to deal with this and his initial reaction is of course to be concerned about elliot's safety but he immediately understands that you know there is a little bit of a child left in him as well he's still a teenager in that sense so he has not completely become disillusioned with the world and he still believes in certain things he feels okay about this creature after a little while and then gertie just walks into this room and there's this excellent bit of screaming that happens gertie of course is played by a very young drew barrymore who's very cuddly and squishy in this film She takes her time. She just keeps screaming and screaming and screaming even after mom walks into the room and they hide ET in the closet. Elliot claims that adults cannot see ET because she's not supposed to talk about ET and if she does nobody will believe her. And her immediate response is give me a break. It was improvised. I think it is beautiful. It shows how much the siblings trust each other despite their squibbles. It shows how much they like being in each other's company and it shows that they can really stand together as friends and have something to enjoy together i think when mike sees et you can actually see the number of questions that are popping in his head on his face you see the question about what is mom going to say about this hmm. you see the question is it dangerous yeah. is the question can i play with it i have also spoken about my scene when et and elliot they're desynchronizing in the end when they're getting treated by these team of doctors and space scientists it is a little heartbreaking to see that ET is sinking deeper and deeper into the clutches of death whereas Elliot starts to recover you see the color come back into his skin and you see him wake up and be able to scream and shout while 
ET just stops talking. You know, they actually got real doctors to come in and do all the talking here. And of course, as a favor to his friends, Spielberg also got Lucas and Coppola to come in and pretend to be doctors. I have already talked about this scene. There's not much to say. There is a lot to experience in this scene. So just go ahead and watch it. Only one thing that I'll say when Elliot repeatedly screams this out, he came to me. That he came to me is working at so many levels for me personally because Elliot feels responsible for E.T. Elliot feels like his elder brother maybe. Elliot feels so many things. It's almost as though the way Elliot would have gone to his father is the way E.T. has come to Elliot. There is so yeah. much happening and... There is that juxtaposition that meaning of friendship comes alive then yeah. when Elliot is looking for a father figure in E.T., but he's also taking care of E.T. like a father would. It's a sweet contrast. It's a sweet relationship where they're both looking out for each other. Yeah. One more scene that I would like to talk about is when E.T. and Elliot are in the forest communicating with E.T.'s home planet. In many ways, this could be the crux of what the rest of the film is about. Because here on the film takes on adventure proportions. Here on the film changes gears. Here on the film puts the stake in the higher slot, so to say. You see them having this conversation about E.T. asking Elliot to go with him without saying anything. And Elliot asking E.T. to stay without saying so much. And the need for friendship, no matter how many relatives we have in our life, Friendship is a beyond the human phenomenon. It is a phenomenon that all of us, because it is something that we create ourselves, it has that much more investment from us. And in this scene, the stakes become so clear to us that we know for some reason at this point that this friendship will not last the eternity, so to say, as we talk about in so many contexts about friendship. Because they don't belong to the same world. And it throws up so many questions, which we will talk about when we come to questions. It is just a fantastic conversation they are having without even talking to each other. The actor who plays Mike in an interview after the release of the film, he supposedly said that the ending of the film had been conceived differently. It was supposed to show Elliot as a core member of Mike's friend circle and all five of them sitting and playing Dungeons and Dragons together. Elliot is the leader. He has absolute power. And then there's a shot where the camera moves up to the roof where there is the communicator, the device that E.T. builds, and it is glowing and beeping, which means that he's still in touch with Elliot. But he said after they shot the scene where the spaceship flies back into space with E.T. on it, they said there's nothing that can top this. I think the ending is unparalleled. This is one of the most brilliant. In fact, you mentioned it earlier. How many times in a blockbuster would you get to hear the words cycle chase? (laughs) Yeah, we had to tell our students, you know, don't try this because those cycle chase scenes are excellent. I mean, so brilliantly edited and they're so confident, these kids. I also like the fact that in the end, when E.T. says to Elliot, I will be right here and points at Elliot's chest. That's all that matters. I mean, they're going to be in touch forever because Elliot can feel what E.T. feels and vice versa. They are going to be in touch. They are going to know each other's feelings and emotions. And interestingly, this is a connection with cinema for me. Memories are what makes this relationship go on forever. We remember so many people from our childhood precisely because they remain in in our memories, not just because of what we felt with them. Another interesting scene that it's an entire sequence is when after the first day Elliot has bunked school, he realizes he can't keep doing that forever. So they decide to leave E.T. at home. Elliot and Mike are walking to the bus stop together. While closing the door after her, mother hears a thump come from upstairs, which is around Elliot's room. So she figures there must be something there and she goes into his room and she walks into his closet trying to figure out what the source of this sound was. For us, the audience who have already seen E.T., we can figure out where E.T. is. He is seated among all those bunch of toys um, looking as lifeless and as cute as a stuffed toy in there whereas the mother who has never seen E.T. can't even make out that something like that is there in her house right there and later on when E.T. is actually walking around the mother with Gertie in tow and the mother is not paying attention because that's probably how a divorced parent's life is they've got so much going on in their mind that (laughs) another uh, stout creature around them just feels like the child that they uh, brought home with them it's also to say that children do not trust adults with somebody like E.T. because It is very clearly saying that children have a different point of view 
and the adults have a different point of view their True. perspectives are different they look at things differently True. and not just because of height because of many other things Absolutely. but here it is taking the simple form of explanation as to why both of them have different points of view in fact i don't know why but i'm just reminded of this fantastic bill watterson comic strip called calvin and hobbs what the mother and father never get to see is what we as an audience and calvin always get to see hobbs acting up so while mike and elliot are walking to the bus stop mike asks what did you tell et did you tell him that we are going to school elliot has his excellent response which shows that he is a smart and intelligent chap he says how do you explain school to higher intelligence that line also cracked me up then of course they walk to the bus stop and then there's that sweet classmate of elliot who keeps saying hi elliot and tries to grab his attention and then of course there's that entire sequence of frogs escaping and et getting drunk at home and elliot performing antics in school and then getting pulled into the principal's office let me just tell you the man who plays the science teacher in this scene it is being played by Harrison Ford in fact as you are saying this here we must take note of this that we don't get to see the faces of the adults except Mary the mother Mary the mother interestingly we don't get to see any of the grown ups faces till the crisis appears which tells us how difficult it is for children to really trust adults with the smallest of the secrets. Yeah, and they're all benevolent people actually. Nobody is out to harm anybody else. Which also goes into the entire arena of children need to be taught how to trust adults. You have to understand the world from their point of view and that is how they will trust. I think we'll just quickly summarize those discussion questions and move on from yeah. there. The concept of friendship, what is it? Is it the caste, the religion, the region, the gender, the interest, the hobbies, the scores in the class? What defines friendship is something for you, your child and your child's friend to figure out. I would like to ask how important are looks uh, because you see Gertie goes from he has ugly feet to kissing him goodbye. So do looks really matter in how you form connections with people or how you view them or how you even understand them or empathize with them? Get into a discussion with your children about how do adults win the trust and friendship of a child? Uh, do they win it by condescending uh, conversations or do they win it by uh, treating them as equals? That happens actually later on when Keys talks with Elliot rather than talks down to Elliot. Another thing I'd like to get you to talk to your children about is how children and grown-ups look at the world in different ways. Why is it that grown-ups are imagined as evil who will take ET away and kill him? Why can Mike Elliot and Gertie understand ET the way grown-ups can't? Should Elliot also have taken his mother into confidence is something that we should ask. In fact, as an extension of this question, I would like to pull focus to how these children develop their own methods of communicating with somebody who doesn't understand their language at all. There is no common language between ET and these kids. The ingenuity of these children in teaching ET things about Earth and learning from him where he comes from, all this is worth understanding and learning. But this is a study in communication actually. Should leaders always lead is something I wanted to ask. There is a time to lead and there is a time to follow. And Mike's friends who always tease and torment Elliot, they are very clearly seen to follow his lead in the end when they all have to help E.T. go back home. Uh, discuss scenarios where taking a step back from leading may not be a bad idea. In fact, that is a standard definition nowadays of a good leader. Mike does it brilliantly. His friends do it uh, fantastically in the climactic scene. So yeah, have that conversation. <laughs> Similar films, Shivangi. My first film is BFG, Big Friendly Giant. It is also by Spielberg and is a more recent film. It also talks about not to judge others by how they look or because of myths or what class or society or what category they belong to. Best to interact with people and form your own opinion and decide where to take that relationship. The second one, very interestingly, is Chris Columbus's Home Alone because this talks about how loners spend a lot of time just observing things because they are just messed around with uh, by their siblings and their parents and there's just too much crowd around at home so nobody really focuses on them as much they learn by observing they are very capable of taking care of themselves and it happens with kevin that he is left home alone during christmas and there are a pair of burglars trying to rob the house and he protects the house against them in a very smart way it happens with elliot as well he's quiet he's angry and bullied in no way either one of them is incompetent or uh, less talented 
they react with anger because they're treated with uh, anger nobody seems to listen to them the final one is a very close film to et story wise it's called the iron giant it's by brad bird who also made the incredibles by the way the story is quite like et but there are some minor differences it has got good animation it's got great storytelling and i think you should watch it and it also equally pulls at your uh, heart oh yes for me bridge to terabithia would be one fantastic companion piece because uh, it helps you understand that loss is not a choice it happens to everyone and that you have to learn to deal with it it could be scary to watch that film simply because the loss comes to you very suddenly very shockingly that is the nature of bad things they just happen to you there's a brilliant uh, maniratnam film called anjali i watched it as a child i've revisited it often times what it means to be not normal and therefore still be loved and how to fall in love with others it's a fantastic exercise in storytelling that kind of empathetic uh, way of looking at the world i'll also bring up films like mr india rockford dhanak up which is an animation film and a little princess at the end of this we would like to recommend that after you watch the film please just look up rogerebert.com and our favorite film critic roger ebert's review of this film it is one of the most beautiful things i have read because it is in the form of a letter to his grandchildren with ebert telling them how he learned to watch et from their eyes and how it changed the experience for him i mean he loved the movie earlier as well but how this just brought new meaning to him i think it is worth a read and it will also tug at your heartstrings and it will tell you why it is such a special movie in fact use this as an exercise take a child to a film the child likes it hates it the reactions of a child will tell you how great a film is adults are manipulated and we judge far too quickly and with that we come to the close of this episode i hope you had fun we really had a tough time stopping ourselves from continuing to talk we would love to hear from you please share your comments and feedback with us on www.breakfastatcinema.com or any of our social media accounts audience start believing okay have fun have a great time watching et goodbye we'll meet you soon goodbye cinema my child and me is brought to you by breakfast at cinema working in the areas of education of cinema and education through cinema since 2014 with children and adults of all ages music brought to you by young and enthusiastic supporters of our podcast their love and talent has made this journey all the more interesting introduction music by 10 year old arkansh pande on the clarinet Episode introduction by Idhya Shalab age 10 on the piano and Idhan Shalab age 6 on the violin. Closing music by 7 year old Drishan Pandey on the piano. We would also like to thank cinema lovers and makers across the world. It is their passion which drives us.